Good morning. If you have your bulletin, I we'll encourage you to get out your notes this morning. Uh, be some blanks to fill in, but always encourage you to take time to jot down anything that God gives you. I'm not the best note taker. I, typically when Brenda and I are at a service, a conference somewhere, she'll have like five pages of notes. I've got three sentences. All right. So someone said I can either summarize things very well or I've got a good memory, but I just, I get distracted. I'm not a good note taker, but it's always good to jot down. We're continuing our series on the advantage of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to the disciples, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit will not come. Again, God had a better plan than walking side by side with us. God's ultimate plan was to come and live inside of us. And even though we take that for granted, and even though people say, yeah, I got Christ that lives in me, sometimes we almost say that without even the wow factor. The God of this universe loved us so much that he wanted to come and take up residence in these earth suits. That really is amazing. He really does love us. And without the death of Jesus, without him taking care of the sin problem, it could never happen. So anyway, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. I want to kind of begin with a question today. How much power does the Holy Spirit possess? All right. Ever, all three services, same thing, 100% power. Whatever your word is for the biggest amount, unlimited power. We would all say that, and that, I would agree with you. Unlimited power the Holy Spirit has. So tuck that away in the back of your mind, all right? And so we've kind of been talking about God creating us as spirit, soul, and body. And it says that in First Thessalonians 5.23, and again, this is kind of a picture of a lost person. They have a spirit, they have a soul, they have an earth suit. And again, as long as we're on earth, got to have an earth suit. But inside, we have a soul. That's where our mind, our emotions, our will, our personality. And so again, we communicate to each other through the earth suit. But we also have a spirit. Now, this particular person has a dead spirit. And again, not that they're dead physically, but you know, when, remember when uh, God said to Adam and Eve, if you eat this tree, you will surely die. Well, when they ate it, they didn't die physically, but they were put out of the garden. And I think they died spiritually. They were spiritually disconnected with God. Because death in the Bible never means ceasing to exist. Death is just merely separation. So a lost person, before they accept Christ into their life, literally they are disconnected from God because of sin. But when they invite Christ into their life, and again, however you interpret that, I believe he comes into what we say our heart, or our innermost being, I believe more accurately, he comes into our spirit, all right? And so he sends his spirit. And the Bible says in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 17, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. That really is amazing to think that God's spirit and our spirit have become one spirit. There's a part of you that's absolutely already complete. If that part of you where God lives, that part of you already, God is not going to get any better. God is complete. And so if his spirit and our spirit have become one spirit, that part of you is already complete. It says here in Galatians 3 that in Christ there's neither male or female, Jew or Greek, slave or free. In the spirit realm, now again, in the physical realm, that doesn't make sense because as Christians, there's still male and female. I don't care what the government says, there's male and female. All right? But anyway, that's extra. That's no extra. 
So anyway, I think even in the soulish realm, we think different. Guys and ladies, we just think differently, all right? Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. I just want to go on record as saying usually Venus wins. Usually the women win, but we like to share. We like to share, we like to give our opinion. But you know, there's one place where we're 100% equal. The Bible says that in Christ, and again, every time you find that phrase, in Christ, I think that's talking about the spirit realm. In Christ, there is neither Jew or Greek, male or female. I just want to tell you something. In Christ, he doesn't look at us in the spirit realm and say, well, you're a male, you're a female, you're a Jew, you're a Greek. In Christ, we are one. We all have the same clout. We all have the same pool with God. And again, I may have said it, but I love about a month ago, somebody came out of the service and said, we have the same spirit that you got, Pastor. Yes, you do. We have the same power that you have. Yes, you do. And they said to me, we don't really need you then, do we? <laughs> Not really, but you do. You do. Some, some reason you still need me, all right? Just show the love of God. But again, amazing. So let's take uh, this picture of five different people. Let's say they come from five different denominations. We got a Methodist, a Lutheran, Catholic, Baptist, Charismatic, and all five have accepted Christ. All five have repented. They've invited Christ into their life. Let me tell you, which of these five has a better connection with God? Doesn't matter. God sees no different. And so I just want to tell you, the title over the door doesn't mean anything unless you have God in your heart. And so if we really have God in our heart, can I tell you whether we're Methodist, Lutheran, Catholic, Baptist, Charismatic, we truly are one in Christ. We are brothers and sisters. That's why when we come together to worship in spirit, we literally are one. If you're one with God and I'm one with God in the spirit realm, we cannot be any closer. Now in the natural realm, you guys don't always like what I like. You don't always think like I think. But in the spirit realm, we are one. And I want to tell you, there's just something about getting together with God's people because even though we're so different, there's a connection that we just can't put down in words. There's something that draws us together, and that's the Spirit of God, that we are one. So in John 7, as we kind of use this verse, as Jesus got up on that last day, the great day of the feast, which was the Feast of Tabernacles. And on that last day, again, the tradition was they had the water pouring ceremony. I don't know if it was during this time. I think it was, my personal opinion. But they would pour out water. And in pouring out that water, they would say to God, thank you for the water that you provided for the harvest. But we're also praying for future water. And so as they poured out that water, they were just thanking God. And it was during this time that Jesus, I think, got filled with the Spirit. Because as they were thanking God for the physical water, Jesus knew that God was getting ready to pour out some living water. He was getting ready to pour out something far more valuable than physical water. And the Bible says on that last day of the feast, he said this, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart or out of his innermost being or out of his spirit will flow rivers of living water. I love that. He who believes in me. What we're talking about is for every believer. Pastors have no more clout with God than you do. I just want to tell you, if you're a child of God, you're as connected to God as Billy Graham or anybody else has ever been connected. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. 
And the Bible says that same spirit that gave life to Jesus will give life to our mortal flesh. How many of you have ever known a dead Christian? Not physically dead. There's no Christian that just wasn't in the spirit. Of course, it wouldn't be any of us, amen? We're all spiritual. But I just want to tell you, God is able to raise up that which is dead to life in his spirit. By the way, if you're not sure, always nod and smile because I'll preach faster. I'll preach faster. All right? So Charlie over here gave me a t-shirt. It says, my cup runneth over, Psalms 23, and it says, just add living water. That's good. That's good. Now, by the way, I don't need any more t-shirts. But if you're going to buy me one, it's extra large. All right, just in case. All right. So anyway, but I love this shirt. Isn't that a cool shirt? The only thing that would make it cooler, Charlie, if you could come out and get a spout where water would come out. I might be a mess, and I might be soaking wet, but wouldn't that be cool? Anyway, you who are creators, make that happen. All right? So we're on our ninth time. Next week will be the last time we say this. So I'm so glad. You got to hear it ten times, and then you got it. So let's say together, closer to God I cannot be, for in the Spirit I am as close as He. If His Spirit lives in your spirit, and His Spirit and your spirit are one spirit, how much closer to God can you get? But you know, the devil will tell you and people will tell you God is way off somewhere a million miles away and make you feel like you're abandoned. But it's not true. If his spirit lives in your spirit, you're as close to God as you possibly could. Again, that's why Paul says in Ephesians 1, we are seated in the heavenlies. That makes no sense because my earth suit is on earth. But even though your earth suit is on earth, your spirit is connected to God. Your spirit is seated in the heavenlies. You have some pull with God. All right. So a couple weeks ago, we looked at grieving and quenching the Spirit. All right. And again, as simple as I can put it, I think we grieve the Spirit when the Spirit says stop and we choose to keep going. Just like any parent would be grieved if they tell their child not to do something and they go ahead and do it. Not because we don't want them to have fun, because we know if they do it, it'll hurt them. And so we have to trust when the Holy Spirit says stop, we need to stop. When the Holy Spirit says go, we quench the Spirit. When the Spirit says go, accelerate, and we choose not to. So again, learning to walk in the Spirit is a process. It's not a one time and done, but literally on a daily basis, learning to stop when the Holy Spirit says stop, learning to accelerate when the Holy Spirit says accelerate. Now somebody asked me Wednesday night, well, how do I know for sure it's the Holy Spirit? And again, it's a process. As you begin to walk with God, you're going to begin to recognize his voice. And I believe you will recognize the Holy Spirit will never tell you anything contrary to the word of God. Always know that. But again, if you're not sure if it's the Holy Spirit telling you, I often say this, you know, if I feel like God's asking me to step out of my comfort zone, I'm not sure it's God. I want to always guarantee you this. If you're willing to step out and trust God, even if you're not sure, I think God would be very pleased that you are willing to obey. So God's never going to get angry if you're trying to step out or you're trying to stop something if you're trying to obey the Lord. I think he will always 
be pleased. So again, it is a process. And so last week we talked about being spirit-filled. And I love how Paul says here in Ephesians 5, he says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Again, the Bible compares being drunk with wine to being drunk in the Spirit. I love that. I love that. Because again, we've all been around somebody drunk. Maybe you've been drunk at some point in your life. But again, alcohol is a controlling substance. All right? When a person gets drunk, they, don't, they, they become somebody different. They get either crazy, they want to fight everybody, but, but drunk people aren't in their right mind usually, all right? So kind of crazy. So in the same way, when we get drunk with the Spirit, the Spirit controls us. The Spirit gives us a boldness when maybe we're not naturally bold. I just want to tell you, the Bible says it commands us to be filled. A literal interpretation of that would be, be constantly, moment by moment, being filled and controlled by the Spirit. Every moment of every day, it's God's will for you to be saturated in the Spirit. That means there's not one thing that God wants you to do in your own strength. Literally, every day. Can I tell you, when I get up in the morning, there's two things I say every single morning, for as long as I can remember. I quote Jesus in John 15, 5, when he said, without me, you can do nothing. Every morning I get up, I said, Jesus, without you, I can't do anything. And then I quote Paul in Philippians 4.13, through Christ I can do all things. I want to tell you, everything you face in life is bigger than you. But nothing you face in life is bigger than God. And if you learn to walk in the Spirit, I don't care how crazy it gets out here, it's going to be okay. God has everything under control. And learning to trust the Spirit and to walk in the Spirit, again, it's a process, all right? And so why do we need to be filled? Because again, there's a physical and spiritual law. Whenever you're squeezed, what's on the inside comes out. All right? If you're not sure, get a bag of chips from the grocery store and just pop them real big. But wait till you get home. Don't do it in the grocery store, all right? If you do, tell them you go to the Methodist church, all right? Don't tell them it's this church, all right? But if you pop that bag, what's on the inside is going to come out. It's a, it's a physical and spiritual law. So when life squeezes us, and isn't it crazy how fast we get squeezed? How many times a day does life squeeze us? Continually, it seems like. So again, if you're not filled with the Spirit and you get squeezed, what's going to come out? Flesh. Let me say this. I, I just want to be transparent. I just want to say Christians can be as mean as the devil. Christians can be ugly. You get a Christian that's not full of the Spirit, when they get squeezed, they're going to be mean. And it doesn't mean they're not saved, doesn't mean they're not on their way to heaven, but if they're not filled with the Spirit and life squeezes them, they're going to get ugly. But that's why we need to be filled with the Spirit. See how the Spirit's all in the soul there? When you're filled with the Spirit and life squeezes you, what comes out? The Holy Spirit. That's why Paul said, remember what Paul said to the church at Corinth? Death is working in us. We're being squeezed, poked, prodded, pressed to the mat. Death is working in us, but it's producing life in you. As the world squeezed Paul, man, the Spirit of God came out. I would rather go to a mountaintop and get filled with the Spirit, wouldn't you? Man, I mean, I'd rather have goosebumps on top of goosebumps. I don't want to get squeezed, but life's going to squeeze you. That's why it's important that you're filled with the Spirit. All right, so today we're going to talk about the power of the Spirit. This is where Bapticostal comes in right here, all right? So those of you that are not Bapticostal, just hang on tight, put the seatbelt on, all right? So 
Here in Acts 1.8, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he said this. He said, don't go anywhere until the Holy Spirit comes. Even though they had been trained by Jesus, the greatest disciple ever, he said, do not go anywhere. Do not take one foot out of Jerusalem until you are filled with the Spirit. You kind of get the idea that everything in life were to be filled with the Spirit. So listen to what he says. He says, you shall receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and all of Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And that word power just means force, miraculous power, abundance, mighty work. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, how much power does the Holy Spirit have? You guys told me in the beginning, all power. And if the Holy Spirit lives in you, where is all the power? It's inside of you. Let me say this. It's a lot easier to release something you already have than to find something you don't have. And when you discover all the power of God lives in you in the person of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to run around everywhere looking for something. The power is in you. You have to acknowledge it and you have to submit to it. All right? So let's illustrate it this way. When you get saved, you're hooked in to the power of God. How many of you think God does not have a, a wattage outage? 100% power. Every single day, you are tapped in to unlimited resources. I like what it says here in Ephesians 3.20. It says, Paul says to the church at Ephesus, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in the preacher. Where's the power? It's in you. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly. No matter what you could ask of God, he's able to do more. You can't even wrap your mind around what God can do. But the power, Paul says, is already at work in us. I just want to tell you, when you discover all the power of God lives inside of you in the person of the Holy Spirit, people say to me, Roger, why do you get excited about talking about the Holy Spirit? Can't we discuss the four spiritual laws? Can't we give some kind of a formula? Because when you discover the way God designed this thing is, you are tapped in to the power of God. Now, how many of you notice a little light switch over here on the right, right above Will? See, every day, let me just go on record and say, I believe every day we get up, our default is to walk after the flesh. Because we're, we're living in an earth suit. Every day you get up, the tendency is to walk after the flesh. You have to, by your will, choose to walk in the Spirit. It's a, it's a process. All right, and so I worked till about midnight last night on this switch. So try to act impressed. All right, just <laughs> fake it, fake it. So there's an off switch here. How many of you know a Christian that has all the power of God could literally walk after the flesh every day? It's true. I mean, you can be born again, have the Spirit of God in you, but yet if you're walking after the flesh, you're going to be miserable to be around. I'm just being honest. If you wonder why no one wants to hang around with you, check it out. But we have to, by our will, hit that switch. How many saw that? Yeah. It really wasn't much. It just took me a while to figure it out, really. I mean, it wasn't much. So let me back up. It's either on off every day. Every day you get up, got to switch it up. And probably throughout the day, whoop, I'm walking after the flesh. I got to switch that button Every moment of every day, you need the Spirit of God flowing through you. 
He told the disciples, don't go anywhere until you get filled with the Spirit. Very, very important. So obviously, Jesus operated in the power of the Spirit. Now, we would, nobody would deny that, I don't think. But remember when he was baptized, the Bible says the Spirit of God descended upon him. And from that moment, he began his ministry filled with the Spirit. Because I don't know how many preachers got up and say, well, Jesus gave us a model. He gave us an illustration. And I believe that's true. Now think if Jesus himself did not start his ministry without being filled with the Spirit. Is there anything you can do in your life in your own strength? Well, there is stuff you can do, but it usually don't turn out well. All right? But it says here that Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So from the beginning of his ministry, he was filled with the Spirit. And the Spirit led him into the wilderness for a 40-day fast. Now, I'm going to be really honest with you. I would rather the Spirit lead me to the buffet line. Now, I know you all are humble. You guys love to fast. But he began with a 40-day fast. I always like to skip that part. That's tough. But during that fast, he encountered the devil. He was filled by the Spirit when he went into the wilderness. But I want you to know this is really important. He was filled by the Spirit when he went in. But notice what Luke says when he came out in chapter 4. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Somebody say, I want the power of God. Are you willing to go through temptation and to trust God more than you can trust yourself? He was filled with the Spirit when he went in, but he returned in the power of the Spirit. And by the way, this, these are actual pictures of Israel, the deserts over there. And so after he got filled with the Spirit, the Bible says he was able to cast out demons. Let me tell you, the Bible says that the devil is the prince of the power of the air. He has some power, but it's limited. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You don't have to fear the devil. You don't have to fear demons. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I love that Syrophoenician woman in, in Matthew 15. She came to Jesus. Remember, her daughter was severely demon-possessed. The devil had her daughter. And she came to Jesus, and Jesus first didn't answer her a word. Has that ever happened to you? You pour your heart out to God and he's silent. But she just kept on and kept on. She was really a pest. I would love to give her all my prayer requests. She kept going to God and kept going to God. And Jesus finally said, well, it's not good to take the children's bread and give it to the puppies. Now, he didn't say he wouldn't, but he said it's not good to give what should go to the Jews and give to the Gentiles. That's what he was saying. But she talked back to Jesus. How many of you ever talked back to God? Oh, yeah. So I said, I got so mad one time I yelled at God. That's okay. He knows you're thinking it. She talked back to Jesus. And he said, it's not good to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. And she talked back and said, yeah, but even the puppies get the crumbs. You need to write that one down. Even the puppies get the crumbs. What she was saying to Jesus is, I don't need a loaf of bread. One crumb from you will take care of the enemy. That's good. You're plugged into all the power of God. You don't need a massive amount of voltage. You just need one crumb. Can I tell you that Satan fears you walking in the Spirit? Satan will do everything he can to scare you away from the Holy Spirit. Because he knows that if you begin to walk in the Spirit, he's in big trouble. 
And so here, this is Capernaum, by the way, actual picture of Capernaum as it is now, the ruins right by the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And so he went to church, and there was a guy in church demon-possessed. This is funny. I mean, the last place I would expect to find a demon-possessed guy is at church. But apparently he felt comfortable there. Apparently he had no problems until Jesus showed up. By the way, if you really want to get, uh, have a fun Bible study, study the, uh, the Gospels every time Jesus went to church. It's funny. Every time he went to church, people got mad or glad. People got ticked off. He had to either duck or pucker every time he went to church. He's, oh, I'm just trying to make everybody feel good. I'm going to tell you, when God shows up, stuff happens that's not in the bulletin. Now, there are some people who say, God, I want you to come, but would you come and be a Baptist? Would you look like us and act like us? I will tell you, I want God just to come and be God. I just hope I have enough sense to know it's God and to back off. But he showed up. This guy was demon-possessed. Great story. Funny story. And so the guy's demon-possessed, and this guy hollers out to Jesus and the synagogue, What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? That would be weird. Guy's saying, what do we have to do with you? I mean, that would be very weird. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Isn't it crazy that a demon-possessed man knew who he was and the Pharisees didn't? That's sad. The ones who studied Scripture, immersed themselves in prayer, they didn't even know God when he walked in their midst. But the demon knew him. And Jesus said, be quiet, come out of him. And the Bible says that that demon threw him on the ground. Can you imagine coming to church, somebody flopping on the ground? That would be different. Come on, give me a, it would be different. And he healed him. And here's the response. Now, the Pharisees always got ticked off at Jesus because he didn't fit into their mold. And this is what they said. They were all amazed. They spoke among themselves saying, what word is this? And with what authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And I tell you, the demons tremble at Jesus. I just want want to go ahead and tell you, the demons tremble at every believer who taps into the spirit of God. Satan does not want you to walk in the spirit. Not only did he have the power to cast out demons, but also the power to heal. Also in Capernaum, this was kind of his headquarters for the Galilee ministry. And this is also a picture of the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. But this is the the passage in Mark chapter 2 also tells the story. Remember they brought the paralytic guy to Jesus? And the Bible says they couldn't even get in the house because so many people had gathered. And by the way, if you go back to Mark 2 and read that story, when word got out that Jesus was in the house, so many people came, they couldn't get near the door. We need word to get out that Jesus is in the house. People will come to experience God. I think most people are tired of religion. I'm just telling you. I think they're tired of most modern-day religion, but they're never tired of Jesus. So they couldn't get in, and remember the story, they cut the hole in the roof and they let the guy down, How many of you think that'd be pretty cool to be at that service? They're cutting the hole in the roof. Now, if you're the homeowner, you'd be checking your insurance policy, right? Because they're cutting a hole in the roof. And I can imagine all the debris falling down, the gravity, all the women, it's getting all into their pretty hair. And they let this guy down. Now, to get some guy down through the roof, you got to have a pretty big opening. 
And they, they lower this guy down and Jesus healed him that day. And when Jesus forgave his sin and healed him, it ticked off the Pharisees. And I love how Luke says it here, the power of the Lord was present to heal. Everything Jesus operated in was the power of the Spirit. He operated in the power of the Spirit. In Acts 10, uh, Peter later when he was preaching to Cornelius, he kind of summarized the ministry of Jesus. Listen to what he says. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. That's how he summarized the ministry of Jesus. He went around in the power of the Spirit. Well, in the book of Acts, obviously, they tapped into the same Spirit because they understood. Jesus said, don't go anywhere until you are filled with the Spirit. Now, here in uh, Acts chapter 4, if you remember, Peter and John were commanded not to teach or preach in the name of Jesus. They were commanded. They were beaten and commanded not to teach and preach in the name of Jesus. So they go back to the church and they begin to pray. And here's part of their prayer. They're just commanded not to teach or preach. Part of the prayer they prayed was, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. I was at a, a state conference for pastors and a guy stood up and he quoted the first part of this verse. He said, God, give us a boldness to preach your word. And all the preachers, amen, amen. And then he went to something else and he forgot to read the last half. He forgot to read the last half. They were praying for boldness. And here's what they said. This, I mean, this is what the Bible said. They has a comma there. Give us a boldness to speak your word, comma, by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. God, if your power shows up, I will have a boldness to preach Jesus. And I want to challenge you. You go through the book of Acts, everywhere you see the preaching of Christ, you see the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of God and the preaching of God always went hand in hand. Remember the guy in Acts 3 that got healed? It was a lame guy who was laid there from his, uh, since he was born. He was over 40 years old. So Jesus had to walk by this guy during his earthly life. But when Peter and John came to the temple that day, he was asking for alms. And Peter said, I don't have any money to give you, but I'm going to give you something better. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He got up and he went into the temple walking and leaping and praising God. He upset everybody. Don't you wish we'd get upset some Sunday and just see somebody free in Jesus? Maybe not. All right, anyway, that's... But he got healed. And because this lame guy was healed, thousands ran together because everybody knew this guy because he'd been laid there. He's over 40 years old. Everybody knew this guy. Thousands ran together. Peter didn't stand up and form a healing line. He stood up and preached Jesus. And when he preached Jesus, it was the healing that brought the people. And the sermon was about Jesus. About 5,000 got saved. How many of you think that'd be an okay Sunday? Not bad. But if we're going to be honest with Scripture, the thing that brought the people together was the healing. And then Peter had a boldness to preach Jesus. Now, you, you may say to yourself, I don't know if I like that prayer. I, I just don't know if I like it. That's tough. God liked it. Because this is what the next verse says. 
When they prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the Word of God with boldness. Don't you wish that would happen to our churches today? Every Sunday when I drive to church, every Sunday I say, God, I just pray that you would show up today and just be you. I just want to see something that's not in the bulletin, something we don't expect. God, we just need your power to change our life. Two verses later, it says this, With great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. They witnessed with great power. God wants us to operate in that same power. Paul, who was probably maybe the greatest missionary that ever lived, Paul said this, and he also depended on that power, all right? As he wrote to the book of, of, in the book of Romans, the very near the end, chapter 15, verses 17 to 19, as he was describing his ministry around Rome, he said this, In mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. He didn't come in word only, but in power. Because people needed to experience the power of God. When he wrote to the church at Corinth, he said this, My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. Paul said, I didn't come trying to wow you with my speech. I wanted you to experience the Holy Spirit and power. He says the same thing in 1 Thessalonians 1.5. He goes on to say this in the book of, of Corinthians, For the kingdom of God is not in word, but it's in power. You know, how many of you know you can have a lot of people talk the talk, but you cannot fake the power of God? You can't fake that. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say here in chapter 4, he goes, I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. Can you imagine Paul coming to your Sunday school class? How many of you would be a little bit nervous, you teachers? Paul sits down, and man, you're trying to think to yourself, I hope I can pronounce this Greek word right, this Hebrew, I hope I, I, hope I did enough reading. And so Paul sits. If Paul came to church, I'd be nervous. But Paul said here, can you imagine Paul saying to you, I didn't really come to hear what you have to say. I didn't hear, I don't want to hear your theology. I really came to your class to see and experience the power of God. I'd probably say, well, you need to go down to Leon's class. I know Lee, I hear things go on down Leon's class. You need to go down there. Can you imagine Paul said, I I don't want to come and debate the debate. I want to come and see the power of God. I believe our world is hungry to experience God. And man, we have church activities and church activities. There's churches on every street corner, and yet people won't come to church. I just want to tell you, when Jesus comes, when Jesus gets in the house, people will come. I believe that. So in Ephesians 3.20, the verse we already read, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. It's already in you. And again, let me say, it's a lot easier to release something you already have than to try to find something you don't have. And so I'm just here to tell you, you already have unlimited power. This is a verse I quote quite often, uh, 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. He says in the last days, Paul said, in the last days men will have a form of godliness, but deny its power from such people turn away. 
I'm just here to tell you the same God that moved in the life of Jesus. And I love how, again, the Bible says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and will give life to your mortal body. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is able to put life in a dead church, is able to put life in a dead marriage, is able to put life in a dead, dull believer. He's able to bring life. I want to say this about the power of God before I close. Because a lot of times when I think of the power of God, I always think about the miracles. And by the way, I always want the miracle. I always am going to pray for God to heal. Now, God doesn't always heal. But if you want somebody to pray positive, I'm your person. I am going to pray positive until God tells me there's another purpose. Now, I've had people telling me, Pastor, I don't believe God heals like he does back in the Bible. I don't think God heals anymore. Well, if you don't believe God heals anymore, will you quit praying for the sick? Just quit. And by the way, people say to me, well, Pastor, the real healing is when you go to heaven. Well, I don't want you to pray for me if I've got a cold, okay? I'm good. I'm good. I don't want to die and go to heaven to be healed. I'm telling you, the same God that healed in the Bible heals today. I believe that. I've too often tried to make the Bible fit my lifestyle instead of making my life fit the Bible. But Paul said this. He was going through a tough time. I don't know what his thorn in the flesh was, but it was something he asked God to remove. And all of us have a thorn in the flesh. He sought the Lord three times, and God said this. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Let me say this. This is really important. Because the power of God is not just about the miracle. Sometimes we've got to go through darkness and struggles and difficulty and those valleys in life. And sometimes the power of God just gives us the grace to keep walking. Paul said, he went on to say here, Therefore I take pleasures in infirmities and in reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Sometimes God takes us through those valleys, those storms, those struggles. Sometimes it's the power of God that just gives us the grace to get up every day and keep going. I talked to my sister yesterday. I have twin sisters. They're eight years older than me. I'm the baby. But this is a sister down in Atlanta. She's lost two of her three children. One died, a three-year-old daughter died of a brain tumor. She had a 49-year-old daughter that died of COVID. Also her husband, her daughter's husband, who was in his 50s, and their 21-year-old daughter all died in a matter of a couple weeks. He's lost two of her five grandchildren. He just heard word that she's getting a great-grandchild from one of her grandsons that's still living. And he called her this week and said to her, their daughter who's yet to be born, they discovered she has a hole in her heart. And my sister said to me, how much more can I take? And I just want to tell you, I, I don't have any easy answers. But one thing I do know is that God is faithful. And I believe the fact that my sister still gets up every day, 
The fact that he gives us the grace just to take another step. Sometimes the power of God, we need the power of God just to get through the fog. I want to close with this. This is a book I've had for over 40 years. It was written or was printed by the Home Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. Because I've had people tell me, Roger, Southern Baptist, I mean, you're out there talking about the Holy Spirit, and it's just not very Southern Baptist. I want to go on record as saying, I will probably never go down as the most important Southern Baptist pastor. And I don't really care. But when I found this booklet, C.L. Culpepper, he was part of a revival that happened over in China in the early 1930s. I had the privilege of hearing him speak at First Baptist Washington back in the early 80s. I don't know if anybody here was there. He was in his 80s at that time, just a real frail guy. But man, I could just sit and listen to that guy. Well, he wrote a book called The Shangtung Revival. He was a Southern Baptist seminary trained missionary. And he said, as he shared his story, he said they were over there in, in China and they would work from morning till night, morning till night, morning till night. And they really, God wasn't doing anything. People wouldn't come to church. Missionaries were at each other's throat. He said it was just a mess. And he said there was a little bitty lady called Miss Munson. She was a Lutheran missionary. How many of you know God can work through the Lutherans? All right. And so she was a, a Lutheran missionary. She came, knocked on his door, and she, he said, I will never forget. She looked up at me, and she said, Mr. Culpepper, have you ever been filled with the Spirit? He said he was seminary trained, had all the education. He said, I don't ever remember anybody asking me if I was filled with the Spirit. And he said, I muttered something. I say some kind of an answer, but he said that question began to burn in my heart. Have I ever been filled with the Spirit? And through the process of months, he began to realize that really they were operating in the flesh. And God began to break down these missionaries and they began to be broken and just confess sin to one another and just get right with each other. And God began to move. And he, he describes the night that, he, that I would say that he was filled with the Spirit. Now, he had the Spirit. He was saved. I think he had the Spirit of God. But he came to that point of surrender where the Holy Spirit just came down in such a dramatic way. And he described it as just waves and waves of joy and love. I want to read just a couple uh, quotes from his book. I got to find my eyes here. This was a Southern Baptist missionary. And he said, when God began to move, first of all, the missionaries got right with God. And these churches that were as dead as a doornail, all of a sudden, people began to come and they couldn't even get the people in the door. All of a sudden, more people were getting saved by accident than got saved on purpose. He gives so many incredible stories. I just want to read it a little bit. After he got filled with the Spirit, this is what he says in his own words. Suddenly it dawned on me what a wonderful privilege it was to be a Christian, one to whom such unbelievable power is committed. Then I grieved because so few of God's children ever experienced the full extent of blessings available to them. I knew that to receive that blessing, one must dare to believe and accept the promise of the Holy Spirit. 
He goes on to say this, in the book of Acts, each report of the coming of the Holy Spirit is followed by an account of some dramatic result. This pattern also appears in the reports that came out of the Shangtung province. When the Spirit came, things happened. He says this, During those days, we missionaries observed many supernatural things. But the change in the lives of sinful men remained for us the greatest miracle of all, and I would agree. Although we didn't emphasize healing as a result of prayer, nevertheless, healing in response to prayer took place during the Shangtung revival. In these districts, just as it had been in the New Testament after the disciples went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord confirmed their message with signs that followed. He said literally, the pages of Acts, they were witnessing in Shangtung. They were seeing the power of God change lives. You know, when the Southern Baptists heard about it, they got worried. This isn't very Baptistic. So they sent some big shots over there to make sure. And by the way, it's okay to check something out. Always check it out, make sure it's of God. I just want to close with these reports from our Southern Baptist hierarchy. Dr. Madry was in tears. He stood and said, Brothers and sisters, I'm going back home and telling those that God has been walking in the midst of the North China mission, and we had better go slow in criticizing them. And one other person that came with him said, I wish that every church in any way connected with the Southern Baptist work could have such a revival as came to the North China mission. I want to confess to you guys, probably my 44 years, I look back and I would say a lot of my ministry was probably in the flesh. I mean, I tried to, you know, I want, I want to say something nobody's ever heard. I want to work hard. I want to go. I want to do, do, do. I just want to tell you the bottom line is we have to surrender to God. I may not look good to people, but I want to look good to God. God wants to use every one of his children. He wants that river to flow. All the power, I just want all the power of heaven is available to you. Let's pray. Maybe you're here today or maybe you're watching by way of stream. And you're not honestly sure that you've ever truly invited Christ into your life. I cannot imagine living one day not knowing for sure that I know Jesus. I can't imagine living one day just doing the best I can. If you're not sure, you just feel that tug in your heart. I just want to encourage you to acknowledge that Jesus died for you. He took your sin and his body on that tree. And I believe the Bible says that if you'll confess and ask God to forgive you and to come into your life, I believe God will honor that. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I hope no one walks out of here without knowing Jesus. If you're here this morning as a believer, I wonder how many of us, if we were to really be honest, maybe we've been operating more in the flesh than we should. I wonder what would happen. I wonder what impact we could make on the world if we would ask God to fill us on a day-to-day -day basis as we walk with Him, just be continually filled with the Holy Spirit.
I want to just pray, and maybe you're here today, just need someone to pray with you or pray for you. We would love to do that. I also want to remember those involved in the school system. I tell you, you talk about the front lines of the mission field. It's those who are teaching, working in education, whether it's public school, private school, whether it's home school. If you're here this morning, everybody kind of look up for just a minute. If you're here this morning and you're involved in the education system in any way whatsoever, maybe a bus driver, secretary, homeschool, I just want you to stand. We want to pray for you. Anybody here involved in the education system? I just want you to look around, see the people standing. I want to say to you standing, you guys are on the front lines, man. A lot of craziness out there. Let's pray for these who are standing. I want to pray for all of us. We're going to exit with a song today. I hope, again, as Ms. Munson asked Mr. Culpepper, are you filled with the Spirit? I hope you never find yourself content until you answer that question. Let's pray together. Would you join me in praying for these who are standing? Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters who are standing here, who, Father, are involved in the education system. God, what a tremendous opportunity to invest in our young people. And, Father, may they every day just be saturated with your spirit and just allow your spirit to produce life. Give them grace, give them wisdom as they navigate through the craziness of life. And Father, use each of these who are standing to truly make a life difference in these students. Would you join them? Let's all stand together. If you feel comfortable, let's just raise a hand or two hands to heaven. Father, in Jesus' name, we just ask you to reach down and fill us with your spirit. I thank you that all the power of heaven lives within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Father, empower us. Give us the grace and the wisdom to take one day at a time to those who are walking through a time of darkness and a valley. God, just give them the grace to take one step at a time and to keep walking. May your power flow through us and change lives every single day. In Jesus' name.